Um, good morning and welcome to the bridge. It is uh, lovely to have you here on Zoom. Uh, we are gathered, well, I am seated right now on the unceded traditional territories of the Semiamu, Stolo and Quantum peoples. If you look on the map, those things overlap. Um, and so, yeah, we're grateful to be here. There she is. Okay. Uh, so Myrna, you're, un you're muted and everything's happy. Okay. Um, we're doing a series of interviewing people in our community and Myrna is the one we've picked on today. So uh, I've done your name already, but tell us uh, your whole name and where you live and who and what you live with and go. <clears throat> my name's Myrna Rempel and I live in Abbotsford with my dog Angel and my cat Nova. And everybody should just follow you online for cute pictures. <laughs> um, how long have you been part of our Sunday gatherings? Uh, good question. Uh, I think it's about a year and a half. Really? It feels longer than that. I mean, in a good way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just a year and a half. Wow. I think so. Yeah. Cool. And how did you find us? Um, well, I was, uh, the church I was in was, their thinking and my thinking weren't quite aligned. So I had stopped and I knew of the bridge because of Dean, who used to be a pastor at the bridge and we went to school together. Oh, okay. So I was curious, but never followed up on it. And then when you guys were posting about being affirming and for the marginalized and stuff like that. That was more in line with my thoughts. And so I talked to lots of my friends about the bridge. <laughs> and then one of the days, uh, Matt and Lila Bacon, who used to go to this church, yep. Matt's like, well, why don't we check it out like this Sunday? And so then we went and pretty much been coming ever since. Yeah. Cool. Well, it's lovely to have you. Um, what brings you joy? Oh, a lot of things. Um, being with friends and family, of course, my pets, being outside. Um, but probably the thing that brings me the most joy is when um, I get to be in Albania and Ukraine and supporting the people there. Like Albania is my happy place, so is Ukraine. And I get to go again this March, so it's countdown time. Wow. So if anyone wants to help um, with some of our projects and support, I can leave the church kind of a link that they can um, look at. But yeah, that by far is my happy place. I am thrilled when I get to be there. Very cool. Yeah, send me the link and I'll add it to this today so that anybody who wants to follow up can do that. And coffee, people are saying? Could that oh, yes, be a very much coffee is on the top <laughs> 10. Yes, for sure. <laughs> yeah, again, memes, uh, endless. Um, what would you like to be known for, apart from, you know, loving a good coffee? <laughs> um, that one for me has kind of been, when I was thinking of that question, it's been a very simple answer for pretty much my whole life and it's just loving well I just I'm not saying I do a good job of it all the time but that's something I want to be known for and then the Gandhi quote and Jesus said something similar but it's like 
be the change you want to see in the world. So if you want a kinder world, be kind. If you yeah. want a more loving world, um, love well. And so that's that's what I want to be known for, for loving well and being a safe place for people. Awesome. That's very cool. Um, is there anything um, that you would like us to pray for? Uh, probably um, just my upcoming trip. We don't uh, get to stay very long, and it's a bigger team I'm taking this year. And so there's how a many? Lot... How many do you have going with you? Uh, there will be twelve teenagers. I love teenagers, so that's not a bad thing. Um, twelve teenagers, but only two of us staff. Um, right. so it'll be a little bit of a challenge. They're still recovering from the earthquakes. They've started, which I mentioned last year, kind of some special needs centers and things. Mm-hmm. So the needs out there are like massive. And so we have to get a lot done in a few weeks, including helping like city hospitals and stuff like that. So we need to raise a lot of money in a short amount of time and get a lot of work done when we're there. So just for health and safety and that we will love well when we're there. Cool. Well, let me pray for you right now. And uh, and then thank you for sharing with us this morning. It's been cool to get to know a little bit about you. Um. So God, I thank you for Mona and her team. And I pray that you would give them all the things that they need practically, um, spiritually, emotionally, and in every way to get everything ready for their trip this uh, this spring. And, uh, and when they're on the ground, God, I pray that you would multiply their hours and give them the time and the strength and the energy they need for each interaction with each person and in each group. Thank you for their hearts to love well. And uh, I pray that that would be done in your name. Amen. Nice to chat with you. Thanks for coming. Are we back to me again? Oh my gosh, I'm sorry. It's a lot of me this morning. Okay, I'm going to do a Visio. Um, If in future you go, hey, I've got this really cool picture and I'd really like to do a Visio with it, then let us know and we'll slip you in to the plan. So here's the Visio for today and it is a, uh, a shameless plug for my Saturday morning group. Just giving you a second to look at this. This is a subtle, no, shameless plug for my creativism group next Saturday. Um, And I love this image. There is a really slow beauty in this for me. So let's just take a few moments to sit with it and see what we can get from it together. A Visio Divina encourages us to practice viewing all of life through a sacred lens, uncovering the messages hidden within creation and within the people. All of life is hallowed ground. So first step, just relax. I'm, I mean, it's difficult on a Visio, but maybe close your eyes and just focus on being where you are in the space that you're in and center yourself in love and God's presence. Okay, now take a look at the whole picture. Notice the shapes, the colors, the lighting. Notice the details, 
maybe read the words. So the image, if you're unable to see it right now, is of an older woman, man, unclear, um, sitting at a sewing machine. Uh, and they are sewing a plaid piece of multicolored fabric. They're intently looking down. Um, and the words on the screen are doing and making are acts of hope. And as that hope grows, we stop feeling overwhelmed by the troubles of the world. Sister Carita Kent. Let's read that again. Doing and making are acts of hope. And as that hope grows, we stop feeling overwhelmed by the troubles of the world. Sister Carita Kent. So just take a, take a minute just to look over the whole thing and just see what draws your attention. At this point, just name it, identify it. Don't try and work out why it's there because we'll do that next. So what is it in this image that just draws your attention? How do you think God might be speaking to you? Why do you think God might have drawn your attention to this particular part of the image? So we've got the large spool of thread was the attention. I wonder why that's your, wonder why that was your part of the picture. Sewing the bright fabric, the hands, the focus, the age of the person, comfort, intensity, how focused that person is on their project, the intense expression on their face, the light behind and within the person, life creating with God, how we can all be useful and creativity should never end. Amen to that. Doing and making are acts of hope. Loose ends can be taken care of. So thinking about what you what you, your attention has been drawn to and what you've noticed in it, is there a message for your life for today? The thread, how prepared they are to be there and attending to this project for a long time. Uh-huh. The best sewing projects are filled with love. The thread is red for doing as Christ's blood was shed as his, as his doing for us. God is creating, giving gifts of creativity to others. God's light and creativity is in every person and we get to do that too. Is there an invitation in it for you? And then take all those thoughts and just let them drop to your heart. Like we've been up here, we've been looking. Let them drop to your heart. Is there a feeling that is evoked? an invitation to join in God's creativity. The plaid 
fabric. All of God's colourful creations are interwoven perfectly in his love. It's very poetic. I notice their hands, how aged and wonderful they are. Yeah. So is there an emotion in this picture for you? Joy. Live. Love. Oh yeah, either, both works. Don't worry about time. God's got that worked out. Care and loving attention. Someone is intensely watching over me. An invitation to keep trying. Oh, I love these invitations. Okay, let's come back to the whole image again. Doing and making are acts of love. Oh, sorry, acts of hope. I mean, acts of love too, acts of hope. And as that hope grows, we stop feeling overwhelmed by the troubles of the world. God, I thank you for this moment to settle in and to focus in and to pay attention to this uh, painting and this person creating. And through that, seeing your creation and your invitation for us to join you in it. And God, I thank you for this moment and this time with you. Amen. Okay, over to Sylvia and Nathan, who are going to lead us in communion. Thanks, everybody. Good morning. Sylvia and I have the privilege of leading in doing communion, so we're going to do that together right now. So I'm going to be reading, or we'll be reading portions from a communion liturgy by Olivia Smith. Holy mystery, that is holy love. You are beyond complete knowledge, above perfect description. Father, Father Son, and Holy Spirit, Spirit source of life, living word, and, and bond of love. You are creative and self-giving, generously moving. In all the near and distant corners of the universe, nothing exists that does not find its source in you. It is Jesus, God incarnate, the risen Christ, who joins us together as a community of broken but hopeful believers, loving what he loved, living what he taught, and striving to be his faithful servants in our time and place. In this meal, we remember Jesus, his promises, and the price he paid for who he was, what he said, and what he did. On the night before Jesus died, he took a loaf of bread, gave thanks, broke it, and said, Take and eat. Whenever you do this, remember me. After supper, Jesus took the cup. 
and poured saying, this is the new covenant. Remember me. We do remember. We remember his life of love, his friendship, his teaching, his dying, and his raising to life again. In sharing this meal, we live out the mystery of our faith. Holy mystery, God the Spirit, we call on you to transform these familiar things as you continually transform the world around us. Bless this bread and this cup, the wheat and the grape, the farmer and the harvest, the seed and the sower. So that in sharing of these simple elements in community, we may taste and see your goodness, so that we might catch a glimpse of what it is to be in communion with you and with one another. Through Christ, in Christ, and with Christ, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory is yours, God most holy, now and forever. Amen. And I get the privilege to pray for Eden. So we're going to do that now. So would you join with me in praying for Eden? Thank you, Father, for Eden's willingness to break bread with us. And thank you, Lord, for the time of preparation that she's had. And Lord, um, as she shares from her heart and also from what you've given her, we ask that you would provide and renew and restore her um, during and even after this message. So thank you for her willingness to, um, yeah, to share with us. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Nathan. Uh, this morning, I'm going to be talking about healing. And I understand that for some of us who have prayed for healing in the past and didn't see the fulfillment of our prayers, the topic uh, can be troubling. But today, you may hear a perspective that you haven't considered before, and I will try to be very gentle with you. Our passage this morning is in Mark 3, but let's begin with how it flows from the previous two chapters, because I've noticed how it builds towards the story we're going to be looking at this morning. We're going to see a broader sense of healing that includes restoration and transformation. And that's because the word Mark uses across his gospel is a far broader word than our narrow use of that word healing. So Mark begins his gospel with this, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the son of God. I love this title because that word beginning is just so open and it sets us up for some expectation of what we might learn about this good news. So here are a few highlights about that good news from the first two chapters in Mark. So uh, chapter one, verse 22 says, the people 
are amazed at his teaching. I, I've converted the language, um, but believe me, I, it is in the Bible. The, the people are amazed at his teaching, that's Jesus, is because he's teaching them as one who has authority, not as the teachers of the law, which is an interesting observation for those from those who are listening to him. Maybe the authority comes from the fact that Jesus is actually sharing good news. Then um, chapter 1, verse 30, a story of Simon's mother-in-law who's sick in bed with a fever, and the disciples tell Jesus about her. So he goes to her, and he takes her hand and helps her up. And the fever leaves her, and she feels good enough to wait on them. So here we have a, a healing of a fever, which may or may not have been serious. Then in verse 40 of chapter one, a man with leprosy comes begging on his knees for Jesus to heal him. He says that if Jesus is willing, that could happen. And Jesus is indignant. He reaches out his hand and touches the man and says, I am willing, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left this man and he was cleansed. So what do we learn about the good news from this little story? I think Jesus's indignation is about being questioned about his willingness to heal. Of course he's willing. And that is good news. I also think Jesus may have been a little indignant that the man came crawling and begging for healing as well, as if begging was required. It's not. And isn't that good news? In chapter two, some friends of a paralyzed man lower him through the roof of a crowded house to land him right in front of Jesus. Jesus is moved by the faith of these friends. They love this person so much that they have carried them from who knows where, have not lost heart when they can't get into the house, and they devise a way to lower their friend through the roof. I think it's quite apparent what they're all hoping would happen. But Jesus starts or recognizes that there's a greater need. And that is to forgive this man of his sins. When Jesus senses the judgment of the Pharisees, wondering how he could be so blasphemous as to forgive sins, when only God can do that, Jesus extends the good news by letting everyone know that the Son of Man does have authority to forgive sins on earth. And then he heals the person too. Further in chapter two, Jesus goes to Levi, the tax collector's house, to have dinner. And there are other tax collectors there too. The Pharisees judge Jesus for spending time with sinners or tax collectors, or also known as shysters. And Jesus replies, it's not the healthy that need a doctor, but the sick. The good news 
is that we don't have to be healthy or have everything together. And we don't even have to be morally right to have Jesus spend time with us. And on another note, he doesn't just heal physical ailments. At the end of chapter two, Jesus says this in response to the Pharisees questioning him about like stripping the grain, the heads of of grain off of a stalk of wheat because that was against the Sabbath law. So the Sabbath, this is what Jesus says to them, the Sabbath was made to serve us, not us to serve the Sabbath. The good news here is the Sabbath was a creation of God so that we would not be overworked and would would have a specified day to rest. This, in the context of the Israelites having been enslaved for centuries without the luxury of a Sabbath, is important to consider. Because the Sabbath laws that had been, it was the Sabbath laws that were created by man and had become so burdensome that they were just another form of slavery. And Jesus is taking this moment to course correct the religious leaders. The good news here is that God cares about our rest. And with that, we enter into our passage for this morning uh, from Mark 3, 1 to 6. So let me read that for you. Now, Jesus returned to the synagogue and a person was there who had a withered hand. And the women and men in the synagogue were watching him carefully to see whether he would cure the person on the Sabbath so that they might accuse, so that they might accuse him. Then Jesus said to the person who had the withered hand, come up to the middle. Then Jesus said to the people in the synagogue, is it permissible to do good or to do evil on the Sabbath, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And looking around at them with anger, Jesus was grieved at their hardness of heart and said to the person, stretch out your hand. And the person stretched it out and their hand was restored. Then the Pharisees went out with the Herodians and immediately began to conspire against Jesus and how they might destroy him, and some versions say kill him. I'm going to admit I feel cringy about doing a talk on healing. It seems either these talks create an expectation that leaves us feeling faithless because the magic doesn't happen, or hopeless because we lose all expectation of the possibility of any form of healing. So even though I have thoroughly proven that walking is a challenge for me, I am going to try to walk this tightrope that stretches between the tension caused by expectation for healing and the discouragement of not seeing healing. If we look at the passage and this topic through the lens of the good news, we may be able to stay upright on this tightrope. 
Dr. Wilda Gaffney, who created the lectionary that we've been using now for the third year in a row, makes note of a couple things to consider. With this extended series of healing miracles, Mark frames the introduction of Jesus as the enfleshed power of God. Dr. Gaffney notes that this demonstrates a concern for the immediate physical well-being of God's children. The gospel of Mark is a gospel of transformation and restoration, not some far-off heavenly pie-in-the-sky salvation. So rather than focusing on these miraculous healings, which are not to be honest, a regular feature for most Christian communities, there's an opportunity to focus on the ways in which the church and her people can affect healing, restoration, and transformation in the actual lives and sometimes the bodies of the people in our communities. And when I say in our communities, I don't mean our church or just Christians. What I mean is the community of humankind. So why was Jesus angry when the people didn't respond to his question? The passage tells us, and it's important to note, that the anger was rooted in grief that he felt in that moment. Anger is a secondary emotion. There's always a primary emotion that fuels anger. So back to why he was angry. He had just asked the people gathered whether it's permissible to do good or to do evil on the Sabbath, to save life or to kill. And the people were silent. This wasn't meant to be a hard question to answer. He really put it the ball on the tee, but a couple of dynamics were in the works. One was that they were already lying in wait to catch Jesus breaking the Sabbath, and they didn't want to let go of that. The other was that they were enslaved to their man-made Sabbath law, and that prevented them from answering honestly. And when he said, is it permissible? He wasn't asking for permission. He was asking them, what is right? He was explicitly poking at their need to follow the code of the Sabbath law while ignoring the far greater law of love. What I sense was at the heart of Jesus's grief was the broken-hearted realization of seeing people that claimed to follow God, but had had no desire to come alongside others to bring them healing. The only reason they wanted to see the healing was in hopes of being able to prosecute Jesus for breaking the law with designs on killing him. So let me just summarize some of the things I noticed from these first chapters in Mark, especially in relation to what healing looks like. What I see in the story of Jesus' healing, uh, of Jesus healing Simon's mother-in-law is the personal connection that creates 
and immediacy to the desire to heal. The coming or the going out of your way to attend to and be near that person in need. And the actual healing wasn't a big showdown of power, but a tender act of loving kindness. In the story of the man with leprosy who begs for healing, I see an immense amount of compassion in Jesus that recoils at this man's need to beg for healing. Healing is not something we beg for. The answer is always, I am willing. Of course, if that's true, we all have a story that seems to be contrary. In the story about the friends who lower their paralyzed friend through the, ce through the ceiling, it is the friends that Jesus is moved by. Could our attendance to those around us who need healing be a catalyst to healing? And in this story, we see that Jesus recognizes a sort of priority of healing that needs to be considered. The forgiveness of sin might be a greater relief for some of us than the mending of a broken limb or the cure for a disease. But this story also shows us that it's not an either or, but that we have a generous God who is willing to address the needs of our whole selves. In the story of Levi, the tax collector, we see that our moral state of being isn't the measure of whether Jesus is present with us. There's a deep healing that comes to us when we become aware of Christ's presence with us. Any kind of brokenness we may feel in our lives, be it a physical ailment or emotional distress, the presence of Jesus often brings a profound sense of healing to our hearts. It comes with the relief of knowing that I'm not too much. This isn't too much. I'm not too far gone. I still matter and God still loves me. And the story of the healing on the Sabbath. Jesus unabashedly calls the man with the withered hand to come like right into the middle of everyone and everything front and center because he wasn't afraid of what the people thought and he wanted to poke at their need to follow rules that prevented them from moving in love and kindness for those in need what prevents us from specifying others in need and unabashedly drawing them into our circle and centering their need. So how do we participate in healing and transformation and restoration? I have absolutely no desire to throw out prayer on this front. I have myself been witness to some events that are miraculous, and I will not deny those. But I do understand that they are not common. Nor do I feel like my prayers are wasted if the person I pray for doesn't get up and walk. 
I think prayer is a form of coming alongside another and accompanying that is significant. And it has its very own fruit that may or may not result in a physical healing, but does have a positive outcome. Our prayers shouldn't be about a formula we're sharing with God that helps them to remember how to heal this person. Our prayers are a way to draw close or recognize how near God is and to help someone else sense that too. Our prayers can also be about setting ourselves or another in a place where they are able to feel peace, even when a difficult situation has not been resolved. I've leaned into the spiritual practice of prayer more in these last years than at any time in my life. I value the call to it on, a, on behalf of others and appreciate the connection that I feel to a person when I've been praying for them. The only agenda I have when praying is that this person does not feel alone in their journey, no matter what sorts of outcomes there may be. And just a reminder, begging is never required. The answer is always, of course I'm willing. The only thing is what healing or an answer to prayer looks like may be different to what we prayed. Last Sunday, we had Brett Matthews with us, and he shared a very practical need here in Abbotsford for people who are willing to come alongside individuals who are newly housed after experiencing homelessness. The very specific need is for folks to come alongside these individuals to become a circle of friends. I believe the fruit of that activity, the sense of belonging and gift of friendship, is participating in healing, in transformation, and in restoration. What kinds of healing can we bring to women and children who make up the majority of the underhoused and underfed that will have a direct impact on their physical health as well as their spiritual well-being? What can we do as a faith community and individuals to safeguard the vulnerable lives of bullied children and teens, especially those coming to terms with and articulating their sexual and gender identities. We have a daily demonstration here in this town that is specifically targeting the queer community and spreading untruths about them. We did try to stand in solidarity with our queer siblings at a counter protest but it was not a safe place for our vulnerable friends. Can we bring some kind of healing to them that looks like a safe place? Somewhere they don't have to worry about accusations being hurled at them or even the threat of physical violence. Many of their families have turned away from them, some in the name of Jesus. Can we be brothers and sisters, aunts and uncles, grandmas and grandpas to them? in order to participate in healing their broken hearts and restoring them. Some might feel like I've taken the miraculous out of a sermon on healing, but I see a lot of practical when I'm looking at these stories about Jesus. I 
find that seeing an individual extend themselves on behalf of another in the form of a hand up or a leg up or accompanying them is nigh on miraculous in our world these days. It's everyone for themselves quite often and the kindness of companionship is a beautiful thing to behold. I wanna call each of you to be attentive to how you can participate in transformation and restoration as often as possible. Can you create a reminder for yourself, a sticky note or an alarm on your phone that reminds you to be looking for opportunities to do just that? We also have one of our small groups this time, the one that Fran is leading, that might be helpful in navigating um, a way to being very intentional about being engaged in restoration and transformation in our local community. Please, if that's something that is um, calling to you, sign up for that um, because it will be valuable to how you engage on that front. Let's close in prayer. Jesus, help us to come alongside each other like you come alongside us, never leaving us, never forsaking us. I ask that you would um, give each of us a specific invitation for how we can participate in healing around us and, and then be with us as we go. We love you, Jesus. Amen.